We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Award podcast where we look at all the many films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Gregg, a foremost villainy expert. And today we're here to talk about Best Villain 2009. How are you, Ben? I'm doing really well. Uh, yeah, no, this was a good set of movies um i think between this and our last recording i've uh i've sort of edited three of our episodes uh so i've i always was worried that that was gonna kind of muddle my mind because it's hard hearing myself talk about movies and then have to like watch them and try not to get any wires crossed in like what we're talking about um but this was this was not the case um it's i would say it's an odd bunch. It's an odd bunch of movies. It's very, not to spoil our talks later, but the quality difference between something like The Dark Knight and Prom Night uh, is vast. <laughs> yeah, this is funny because when looking at this year for villains, I'm like, okay, yeah, so it's basically the person everyone knew was going to win, and then what seemed like a pretty, like, kind of you know at the time i'm like oh yeah kind of weak crop crop of villains and say so definitely quality thing this is a this is a series of films where i enjoyed most of them um prom night being the one significant exception to that but, but yeah yeah i guess we'll we'll get into it when we get into it but that one was um you know despite uh despite casting uh leon from to make american to make a, an american quilt as the main villain uh and him being probably along with it just elba probably like the two pretty tolerable parts about the movie did not make up for it being not great <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well man i'm really glad that's the one we gotta end on just end on the high note of us having to talk about prom night um, but, yeah <laughs> but but yeah this was an episode where i'm like oh this is gonna be like maybe a boring one because it's i it's not i mean i don't know about you but i don't think there's gonna be much mystery about who our top picks are gonna be like it's yeah it's, no it's it's this is kind of the villain equivalent of the Spider-Man upside down kiss, really. Yeah, it really, it really is. Because like, even in movies that like, um, are like, I would say like on par of like quality. Maybe not in everyone's eyes, but in my eyes, um, as like the Dark Knight, like the performances uh, between all the villains, like it's just such a. It's a. It's really a blowout. It truly is a blowout. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, but it's all right. We still had fun. Um, our pa- past guest Shane Gannett at one point was trying to convince me that he should be allowed to come in in character as Seth MacFarlane's like character in Hellboy Two to like try and make a case <laughs> for that movie, and I said, "What?" Well, I'm like, "I." I think we like, want to go guestless and without that elaborate bit for this one, just because we have a lo- lot of, I mean, we've had a few guests like for this and a lot of ones like coming up and like, for stuff this major, you just need the two of us, but it's a chance we'll send something in. Cause I'm like, if you want to send something in, like trying to like say why Luke Goss is a better villain, like go for it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely, if we get that, it'll be, It'll be a stinger at the end. Yeah. Uh, so um, listen all the way through if it exists. If not, uh, I'll put something else special there. Just, just so that way, you know, there's something. Just reuse the Batman footage from the Batman Forever one. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. That was so funny. <laughs> yeah. So the 2009 MPB Movie Awards um, were presented May 31st, 2009. Andy Samberg was the host. This, of course, was the big Twilight High School Musical 3 best kiss year. Um, yeah. I feel like I said that this is the one, like, MTV Movie Awards I am convinced I watched. It was where, like, me and my sister watched it together, where she watched because she wanted to see Twilight win a bunch of stuff, and I watched because I wanted to watch, like, Andy Samberg hosts, and then, you know, it was like, oh, who, who's going to win best movie, Iron Man or Dark Knight? And then Twilight won, so just... <laughs> but yeah yeah what's also they're like oh are they gonna honor Heath Ledger and of course they did but yeah so yeah no I definitely when I was looking at this I was like oh is this like I, I was I got a little excited it's like oh cool is this like our is this do we have like a dual second appearance of both Heath Ledger and Seth MacFarlane but no Heath Ledger is also in A Knight's Tale which I, I forgot about um but I think this is our second uh, Seth MacFarlane role we've covered on the podcast. Yeah, I think it's after just Ted. Ted. Yeah, Help. Ted, and then <laughs> the German Gas Man. He um, is good in like Hellboy too. It's like... yeah, he's so. I I remember I had to look it up immediately because I, I recognized his voice and I I forgot about that entirely. It's it's very it's he's a. It's a very, very charming role. <laughs> I really like it. Yeah. Um, yes. Sorry, I'm trying to look. It doesn't say who presented Best Villain this year, which is odd. Also, I wonder who accepted, because obviously po- posthumous. Maybe I should have looked more of this stuff up beforehand, but this, of course, was also the year, the infamous year where Sasha Baron Cohen like showed up as Bruno and did a thing with Eminem where like he was flying overhead in an angel costume with only a jack jack drop and then was just landed on Eminem. Like, um, oh yeah, I've I've seen I've seen clips of that. It's very very funny. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> definitely like it's one where they claim it was like stage and then some people but people are like was it really staged or did eminem just want to save face for like storming out of the theater afterwards <laughs> he claims he left uncontrollably for about three hours but 
Then Ben Stiller won the, like, MTV Generation Award, and Kiefer Sutherland jokingly broke down in tears while presenting it to him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, this was, uh, this was the one that marked the, the sort of, um, Twilight sort of sweep for the next couple years of the kissing category. Um, also, just like it was, I, I guess we did. I guess we are to give a little bit behind the scenes. We are recording one year ahead, um, but it's still weird to see in like the nominations list Saw Five because it feels like we just covered Saw Two. Uh, I, these, I guess, they really were coming out like annually. Yeah, it was like the annual Saw film that came out. Um, yeah, uh, as I've talked about extensively on that one. So... Yeah, this is also the year, and I think especially for, like, best villain, where I'm sure I'll say something when we eventually record 2008 on how it, but kind of, like, Johnny Depp winning that year feels sort of like maybe the beginning of the end, or just, I think I'll talk about a bit in 2007, too, where, like, or as well, where Nicholson winning seems like kind of like a weird outlier, and then suddenly, yeah, Depp wins, and then you look at it going forward, and there's certainly some good stuff and interesting nominations there. And it's also, like, a lot of superhero stuff and, like, you know, horror stuff. Like, there's something where it's like, mm, is this going to be less interesting to talk about? But then you get to the year where the award was, I believe, just Best On-Screen Dirtbag, which is just, like, Horrible Bosses and Project <laughs> X. And you're like, yeah, no, this is going to be fun. <laughs> with the help also just in there like <laughs> just a weird a weird thing yeah yeah also yeah, yeah. also looking head where it's like we got a bit weird talking about Django Unchained and her best kiss not only do we have to do it again but also 12 years of slave is coming up <laughs> oh man oh jeez I've never actually seen it uh this podcast really is broadening my horizons um I don't think I've seen... Oh, God, I have not seen any of the 2014 uh, nominees. That's going to be a... That's going to be an interesting week. Yeah. I go for... Uh, yeah. Um, we're, we're getting way ahead. I'm like, I go for Oz the Great and Powerful a bit, but maybe not Kunis's performance in that, but... You believe that movie? <laughs> I think it's really good. Um, anyways. Yeah. yeah. So, for 2009, we might as well get into it. Best Villain 2009. The nominees are Luke Goss, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Dwayne Johnson, Get Smart, Derek Mears, Friday the 13th, Jonathan Shake? I should have looked out. I like how to pronounce it when I'm like announcing this for 2008. Um, Prom Night. <laughs> and the winner, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. So... Yeah, what is there to say about the Dark Knight, really? Just, um, I think it. This is, I think, really good proof that I feel like, um, internet humor can sully some things, uh, because I can't unsee Heath Ledger's Joker as like this, like weird, like, like 
impact font meme like incel thing of like <laughs> of like all these like ironic jokes about like society and stuff like that um but it also i feel like it also proves a hunch i had that like great performances will still shine through that even though it's like everything about his performance in that character has been like very much like not i don't think flanderized is the right word but definitely like memeified and like i almost never see it in any other context than like an ironic joke a joke like or like a just something just something about gamers it's just it's very hard to disentangle that um but despite the my initial first couple scenes with him me laughing hysterically at that i think like the effort he's putting in and like the character he's putting on um still shines through that so i think that's very nice yeah um i'm like a bit less into that kind of like meme culture obviously i am aware of the the cultural impact the joker uh heath ledger's portrayal of the joker had has not necessarily been like a positive thing it's been latched on by like questionable types or you get the thing where it's like oh yeah being a kid is like wanting to be batman and being an adult is like you know the joker makes more sense it's like no you you didn't pay enough attention to the movie is <laughs> what's going on but it's yeah yeah but like it truly is just an undeniable performance um as we can get into it like the dark knight is definitely a movie where because now we are in we're definitely in the period actually that started last week where a lot of these movies are stuff that i have very clear memories of seeing in theaters um the dark knight feel i've told you this story a bit off of mike but i distinctly remember this because it came out the very first year i ever worked at like a summer camp when i was like a 15 year old with no money and like no way to get there and this movie came out and the only real access to internet i had at that time in like a pre-smartphone era was there was like a shack on kind of part of the property of the camp that had a computer in it and like with just like a yeah it wasn't like dial up but it was like pretty slow high speed so like i i would just kind of wander over there on yeah kind of time off and log onto this computer and just look up buzz about this movie because and it just became this huge massive object for me like tried to get in on a couple trips to see it because it was like playing in the local town that had like a one screen theater um was not really able to get on those and then eventually the camp had what was basically like family camp where there was just a lot of a lot of people from kind of the church affiliated with the camp were were up there roles were kind of different different had a bit more free time um and i convinced one of my friends who was like, oh yeah, no, I love that movie. I'd be like willing to take you if like something was happening. And sure enough, like basically a group of friends were like, well, yeah, let's go see this in this town, like Re yeah, uh, Red Deer, yeah, Alberta there. So I was able to get to my friend. I feel it was the day after where I'm like, hey, remember when you told me this like yesterday? Well, guess what? And uh, 
Oh, great shout out to my friend Andrew who was willing to drive drive me to this like his because he's like it was a bit of an age difference be between us. So like, definitely did not have to take take me to see this film with other people. But remember that being a thing where we got there and it was kind of last minute and they were unclear about where we were meeting at beforehand because we're like, oh, it's just a theater, and we're like, oh, they're like, no, no, we're at like this mall. Then we drove to the mall, and the mall was, like, closing, but we got in because we were like, yeah, fr friends are in there. But look, Andrew was kind of grumpy, and we got in, and one of the other people there was, like, bragging about how he had got from camp to Red Deer in, like, half an hour for what is definitely, like, a 45-minute drive. But he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you know, I just did the speeding. And Andrew's like, do you often just pride yourself on your crappy driving? But it was just kind of like a weird, like, tension a bit but then we actually got to the movie and i was transfixed like also also said this is the one film where because um it's a very long movie and towards the end i definitely had to use the bathroom bad and it, i it was the one time where i made a clear thing where i'm like well i am going to hold it because i don't want to miss a second and if i don't make it i don't make it like that's how engaged I was, like, by this movie, and even, like, growing up from it, as much as, like, I don't know if I love it as much as I did when I was 15, I always, like, it has that experience of just being this big object that I went to a lot of trouble to see when I was, like, 15 years old, and was willing to, like, wet my pants for it, to, like, just see it all play out in full, so. Yeah, high praise. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, I don't have as an extensive uh, relationship with this movie. I did see it when it came out, which is um, an oddity for me uh, when it comes to all movies. Um, and I like I wasn't super into Batman at the time, and like because I had not. I think it was. You there thought is... the Joker made more sense. <laughs> exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. No, um, I feel like there is a high chance that this was the first batman movie i ever saw there's like a pretty good chance that's true other than maybe like maybe like a vhs copy of batman and robin that i was not even conscious conscious when it was playing um and i remember the the only thing i remembered about this movie for the longest time was uh how scared i got uh when like the when like the fake Batman like gets hung and like slams against the window because it was like a jump scare, and I remember not liking that at all. I remember it made me jump, and that was like the only thing that stuck with me about this movie, uh, for the longest time, and I had not. I think this is the first time I've rewatched it since then. Um, really? Yeah, I just I'm not a not a big movie guy. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and it's just a fantastic movie i i'm really glad that i got to watch batman begins um i also watching this movie now i don't fault myself for for not for believing that it was the first one because like i feel like there's a lot in this movie that just would totally make sense as its standalone thing i think other than like the weird scene with the scarecrow but they could totally just cold open that if they wanted to i feel like there wasn't like much context i needed i guess maybe the um his history with rachel a bit i think helps if you have seen begins but even yeah though, yeah it is largely kind of like a standalone film um 
like they make I remember in the things coming out the like Wikipedia page right in when describing the Joker it's like hey it's one for like two homicides where you left like a calling card because that's like how Batman begins ends and we don't even like allude to that at all like it's just sort of established hey there's this guy out there and he's like kind of like theatrical and crazy like it's a bit of a it's a bit of a jokester it's a bit of a jester okay. um yeah no I this movie is just I feel like it's it's hard to it's hard to like not contribute like because I feel like I, I don't want to I don't want to take away from Heath Ledger's performance but I feel like this movie is like a really good example is to like having like one villain and just sort of sticking to it because um, I feel like we cover a lot of superhero stuff that kind of falls into that trap of having like 15 usually it's a Spider-Man movie and usually it's not the first one um and i feel like this is just a really good example of like you have you have one incredible actor just like like working his butt off and just being like so entertaining and fun um even though it's sort of meme irony poisoned it's still just so enjoyable and charming um you know and it's just this movie it's this movie is long but it super didn't feel that way like it like like it's weird this week we've actually this week is kind of my dream because like three out of our five movies are like about a buck 50 like they're about one hour and a half but like we'll get to when we get to it but like prom night did not feel like a short movie um like i would say like prom night and dark night like felt the same length unironically um because this movie this movie does like have like a lot of set pieces and like he goes to like he goes to hong kong right i'm pretty sure i watched this like yesterday yeah Yeah, there's a big big hong kong sequence i remember a big thing the one thing i heard at a time is there is a point where you will think the movie is about over and then there's like an hour left and it still feels like that way because like when he has that first confrontation and Obviously, a lot of movies since have done the... They capture the villain, but oh, it was part of his plan, like, since then. But it still feels like it's wrapping up, because, like, like the Gordon stuff and him becoming commissioner, and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see why, even though I knew, like, oh, the movie's not actually over, why, you're like, oh, yeah, the movie's kind of over. Yeah, I, I totally forgot that the it ends on the boat scene. Cause I remember, cause like probably one of the most iconic parts about the movie, like is like the boat scene. And I, I didn't, I forgot that it was like, it was like the climax. It was like the ending. Um, yeah. And it's like very, very enjoyable. I very much like, like I am, you know, hot take. I think the dark Knight's pretty good. Um, <laughs> uh <laughs> i know it's we're gonna set the world on fire with these ones um yeah and it's just it is it is kind of one of those things where like um you know this is like the only nolan one i had seen before and i'm really excited to see the dark knight rises now um you know to kind of see how this sort of trilogy sort of finishes off and like to see this sort of new this sort of final thing and just to see how everything kind of comes together like that um yeah, yeah. I'm, not... I'm interested to see how you react to 
Dark Knight Rises. Um, but yeah, I'll say there were two films we watched or covered this week. I mean, well, this one and Get Smart I had both seen before, and it's also, also I mean, say I was surprised with how much of Get Smart was like just kind of burned on my brain, but like this film, yeah, so much of it was just burned on my brain. Um, the bank, like the bank sequence that kind of opens it. I re I actually remember seeing. I did not see this movie in IMAX, but um, I saw I saw I Am Legend with Will Smith um, kind of several months before this came out, and one of the big reasons to see that film in IMAX was basically the teaser for, and he did it with Dark Knight Rises too, uh, or as well, but where basically he would just show off a scene from the film in full IMAX, and the bank scene was the one they used, so that one, I, like, all the little details of it, like, the bit is so funny where the guy thinks he has to figure it out, where it's like, oh, it's like, I bet Joker said, you know, said for you to kill me as well, and it's just the point where you realize it, where it's like, no, 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 I killed the bus driver. He's like, what? What bus driver? Just is like the bus just kills, like, just breaks through and hits him. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good opening. Like, it's, this movie is, like, very strange in that, like, um... It's like, it's just like a bunch of like really good scenes that you could probably like, it's, I don't know, I don't think it speaks to, I think it's a pretty neutral statement to say, but I feel like you would kind of like shuffle things around and it would like, all these set pieces like, are just sort of like these fun little contained things. It almost feels a bit like a, like episodes of a TV show. Um, slight, I guess uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, how I watch these. I actually, um. I actually watched like half of Hellboy 2 and then half of The Dark Knight and then I finished Hellboy 2 and then I finished The Dark Knight uh, just because I started like watching these and then the Wi-Fi at my gym wasn't working so I just kind of got on the treadmill and because I had The Dark Knight downloaded and not Hellboy I just started that one. Um, but I like I felt like leaving it like natural stopping points kind of like I don't know it's it's just an interesting thing about this movie that it's just it has so kind of clean cut like fun scenes like the hong kong one the boat scene and like the opening um and like the the party scene it's a little bit shorter but that one's like really good as well oh oh yeah like there's definitely clear sections of the movie um they're really good it's sorry sometimes when we talk just movies where all we hear is it's really good i'm like i don't know how to talk about this this one i felt like i could talk about for just ages, like, the boat scene just blew my mind when I was, like, 15, and, you know, because as much as you watch it, you're like, okay, they're probably not gonna blow up, like, both boats. It is something where you genuinely don't know what's going to happen, and I think part of what makes the Heath Ledger performance here so good, and there was, I remember a thing where, when it was getting, like, Oscar attention, there was a bit of a crowd where we were like, is there part of us that just thinks it's so good because he died and then we're just kind of fascinated by by it, but you watch him. You know, it's possible that had he lived and had he, like, gotten to reprise his role, like, maybe there'd be diminishing returns, but, like, what makes it so, so good is he's making all these choices where you really don't know what he's going to do in, like, any given scene, like, like, so whenever he's doing stuff like, 
you know, the bit where he's leaving the hospital and he's like clicking the detonator and it doesn't work. He's just like, ah, 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 until it finally blows up. Like, it's so funny. Or when he's like burning the money or just like the, the whole Hong Kong thing set up where he's like, oh, he's like, oh, yeah, the old television man's plan there. Just. Like, yeah. Everything he's doing is just so magnetic and, like, surprising. Even when I've seen this so so many times, or, like, or, or just him in, like, the jail cell as well, which, again, a scene they've done, done a lot, but it's just so fun to see him in there and then just talking to, like, the, the cop. And there have been, like, some critiques about the Nolan film, I think, in weeks of it, where they maybe are a little, yeah. Pro, pro police in ways like I know I have friends who make fun of the bit where they're having the town hall meeting where Harvey Dent's gonna confess and then someone's like no more dead cops where you're like oh yeah that is kind of part of it but at the same time it is really eff effective especially when he's like goading that police officer into attacking him like, like yeah yeah the, the bit that gets where he's like ah he's like you know you can tell a lot about the a person when they die so in a way i know your friends better than you are do you want to know which one of that which ones of them were cowards just that's such a good chilling villain line and like, yeah oh yeah he's yeah just like unpredictable and like just horribly like just like very much like getting under character skins like that yeah and just like yeah he just has so many he's so many good lines in this movie just delivered so well and just like so like it's very it's very tough because i feel like and we're gonna probably cover it later down the line with uh jared leto's joker where it feels like something that like is just very hard to replicate without coming off as like very cringy and like very like like not as cool but like the fact that he's able to pull it off is like very incredibly impressive um especially with something that like i feel like over time the sort of like chaos you know quote-unquote society type characters have just gotten like a little bit more like harder to take serious um but it's good to see that something like this like still like stands the test of time and he does such a good job with it and just like it's it's a truly like it's I'm really glad that we got to cover it. I'm really glad that I got to watch it again and be less scared of the hanging Batman this time because I'm an adult. Um, yeah. It is a, a startling scene. Movie. I will give young Ben that. Like it is. Yeah, it really is. It, yeah, it. Yeah, I was because like I didn't. You're not supposed to put jump scares in superhero movies. I'd never, I'd never had that before. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, I know what you're saying, well, it's hard to take these ones, like, we went from why so serious to why no serious. Just... <laughs> exactly. Oh. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. But I'll say this, though, and maybe this is a point against the Joker. It's kind of embarrassing how he mixed up those addresses when he was telling the Batman where people were. Like, <laughs> Yeah, classic blunder, you know? Just, he's... Yeah. Oh, he just Real wasn't thinking a lot on his plate that day, like... <laughs> exactly and then he you burns know, all that money case. it's a recession what are you doing man like just oh my yeah <laughs> the housing crisis just happened 
but yeah. any any oh sorry go on. oh yeah i was saying yeah getting to like i think wrapping up which i think you've tried to do a couple times i'm like no no I, we can talk about this one i know we can um, but yeah i'll say as someone who is like a pretty big batman fan and as much as the joker as a character has been incredibly oversaturated like and this movie certainly did not help with that um i think the reason the joker is such a good character is because there are ways to do so many different interpretations of him like i remember when i was young and 15 i had a friend who's like no i'm not gonna see the dark knight like because it's not nicholson yeah and i'm like no and this was another older friend who, like, I definitely looked up to, and it was the first time, and I remember he was shocked as well, where I was like, no, you're wrong, you have to see this. But, but like, I think just so many different interpretations of this can exist. That's also why, and we'll get to it with the little one, where it's annoying where they don't really seem to have, like, a new take on the Joker beyond, you know, what Ledger did, and, or, I mean, I guess Joker, like, Joker with Joaquin Phoenix tries to do something different, but the point of it's successful, I think the most interesting cinematic Joker we've seen since then is Zach Galifianakis' taken Lego Batman movie. Um, Oh, yeah, I think we talked about that last time we talked about Batman. I really have to see it. I, I, I really want to see it. I've only heard great things. Oh yeah, you you would really like it. Um, but yeah, but yeah, it's really good. I will say, also, if Aaron Eckhart had also been nominated for Two Face, obviously he would not have won. But like, I think it also would have been a worthy nomination. He does a really good job selling that stuff of it, and I think yeah, just kind of the last thing I'll say too is I remember a big thing in the years kind of leading up to this film when we knew oh the joker was gonna be in it and oh it's gonna be heath ledger and we didn't even didn't even touch on how until the actual sister coming out of his performance but when he was initially cast people were upset they were like the brokeback mountain guy come on like they like there was controversy about this performance and he blew everyone away but i remember another thing leading up to it was Nolan kind of just saying, he's like, I think the biggest mistake that the original Batman movie makes is they kill the Joker in the end. That's like his character. So he was saying up front, he's like, no, I'm not going to kill the Joker in this movie. I would maybe want to use him in sequels. At one point, he kind of laid out his outline where he's like, yeah, movie two will be the Joker and you introduce all the Harvey Dent stuff. And then movie three is like the trial of the Joker and that's where Two-Face emerges and over time, obviously, he just decided to do all the Two-Face stuff in one movie, which makes it more, all uh, the more powerful for it. But I remember it was even the thing, too, because, you know, when Heath Ledger died and it was so tragic, it became the, it did become a question where even though I knew, oh, he's not going to kill the Joker, he's not going to kill the Joker, after that happened, there was a point at the end, and I could still get there, where, like, I think the biggest trick this movie does, and we talked in the Begins episode how, like, it is kind of funny that a lot of this conflict is, will Batman kill someone when he has technically killed before? But the, the Ledger performance is effective enough where 
when they have the final confrontation and he's launching into the scars story for like the last time where it's like, do you not want to know how I got these scars? Just another great thing there. And then Batman's like, no, or he's like, do you know how I got these scars? And Batman's like, no, but I know how you got these and just knocks him down. There is like half a second where you think, oh, he is, he lied to us. He is going to kill him. But then, and I think it just makes all the more effective when he doesn't at the end, when he just, you have to string him up and he gets to do the, you and I are going to do this forever thing, which is, takes kind of like a tragic weight to it now, but again, it's just a really powerful thing that really seared this movie into my mind as a 15 year old, where this was the first time where I'm like, maybe Space Jam isn't my favorite movie anymore. Maybe it's this. Like, <laughs> Wow. Um, but, yeah, you got anything else to say on The Dark Knight? Um no, I think it's it's just like a really good movie. It's just as as someone who's not like a huge Batman fan, uh just not seen like a lot of the movies and doesn't really seek them out outside of this podcast. Um just a solid solid movie. Um I always I really like that one detail. Um I feel like it's one of those, it's like kind of like the Lord of the Rings kicking the helmet thing a little bit. But um, in that scene where like um, uh, Two-Face is like holding the gun to Joker's head and like like being like, oh, you can shoot me. The Joker has like his finger on the hammer. So even if it, he clicked it, it wouldn't go off. Like I think just little subtle details like that are just, I really like those in movies, even though I don't have an eye for them at all. They are purely only exist to me if a, like a YouTube video or a TikTok like points them out. Um, but I still really appreciate them and I think they're really neat and it's just, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, it's like, uh, it's like the director's like your friend and it's like, oh, it's like these little things to show they care. Um, I, yeah, super enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Um, and with that, let's move to another solid comic book movie from kind of 2008, Hellboy 2. Yeah. Um so I watched Hellboy 1 in preparation for this. Um did you do the same or had you seen it recently enough that you didn't really feel like you needed the refresher? Um I had actually I had never seen well before obviously this comes up but before our hiatus got like super extended I had watched up through 2008. So this was actually the first time where I was, I am like basing my opinions on having watched these films like days ago, but I actually did not wind up watching the original Hellboy. It was something where I thought, oh, maybe I should, but then I was kind of busy. I'm like, do I have, do I have time, time for this? Maybe I should just do Hellboy 2. And so I did, so I didn't wind up watching this ultimately on the thing where I'm like, I bet I don't need to know that much about what happened in Hellboy 1 to understand Hellboy 2 based on what I already know about the character. And having watched Hellboy 2 and then later finding out that um, people vastly prefer Hellboy 2, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I think I made the right choice here. Yeah, me included. Uh, I think Hellboy 1 is like, it's decent and it has like some really, really like good scenes. Um, like, I think like one in particular um uh that i've just found like particularly funny is that like he's like he gets um because he has like his love interest 
uh, Liz. Uh, and there's like a scene where like there's like a scene where like he like goes and like spies on her because she's out with like the one of like the like a, a guy who's just like a liaison like for Hellboy like a, just like a new hire or something. And then he just goes like ah oh, like he's like he's with her and then he just sort of sits on a roof with like a kid and just sort of like talks about like his like jealousy. <laughs> and it's just this really like cute wholesome scene with this big like red guy. Um, also just like. So, same can be said about this movie just like the makeup and stuff like this and this is incredible like it is just looks so good um i didn't do it for prep for this uh podcast but when the rebooted hellboy came out i did watch it and i remember it not being really good and i think it really is a shame because i'm sure there's a lot that movie like doesn't do well and gets like pretty wrong that like made it not very good but like Oh my gosh, is it just not the same without like Ron Perlman being <laughs> Hellboy? I don't know. It's just something about not only the performance, but also just like the design and like how all the makeup fits on him that like it just it it looks very, very like real. Whereas like the rebooted Hellboy like looked like a Halloween costume down to like like he sat like the the person doing it like always sounded like he had like a mouthful of like cotton balls or something like he sound it looked very much like a halloween mask unfortunately um but yeah, yeah that's sort of my on either end of this movie is like not as good as like this movie this movie's really really solid yeah i have never seen um yeah i've never seen like hell or I do not see the remake either, uh, but that's one I know a lot of of friends of mine just, like, hated that one. And David Harbour, who plays Hellboy in that one, um, Mr. Stranger Things over there, Mr., you know, Red Guardian from Black Widow, like, I enjoy him, but definitely having watched this, I'm like, I didn't... yeah. You didn't know it was him? I didn't know it was him. And it's weird because, like, he didn't do a very good job, which is, like, weird because I think he's, like, not a bad person. And I feel like if I was a big Hellboy fan and I heard he was doing it, I would have probably been, like, really excited. I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's not bad. Um, I feel like a lot of his performance in that movie is held back by just the design not being that good and a lot of the dialogue, like, being very lame. Um. Yeah. And also it comes down to like, I don't know if his voice, his voice just didn't fit, unfortunately, which is a shame. Um, that movie does have like some cool imagery, even though it like, it sort of lies to get there. Um, it pulls like a less satisfying uh, Twilight, you know, where Twilight has that whole fight scene that's like imaginary. Uh, spoilers for Twilight, sorry. Um, uh the new Hellboy has like has like a scene they keep cutting to, or like they showed it in the trailers a lot of like him like riding a dragon, um, and that scene just like is like I th- if I'm oh, sorry if I'm remembering wrong, it's either a vision or it's done so quickly and like the dragon is just not in the movie at all, almost barely at all, um, but it looks cool and there's like a house with legs that looks cool in that movie, um, but yeah. So the reboot, I, I really wanted to like it, you know. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people want to, but 
I'll say it is, I think, telling for this film, like going back to you know, the, the Perlman Hell points that having not seen the first film, that seemed kind of telling where you read the one where, like, yeah, it's like battling Nazis, and then this one is, he's battling like elves and cool, just magical creatures. I'm like, I feel, I also am not that familiar with like the Hellboy comics, but, I feel, but that has to be like the juice of just Hellboy. Like, here's all these cool creatures and designs. And, yeah, I feel like it is just like sort of like you try and pack as many Monster of the Weeks into like a movie as you can. Um, and I feel like that's something that the first movie kind of flubs on because like the first movie is like sort of about like fighting like these, I think these like two Nazis that have just become a turtle, a ter- eternal because of the occult. And then I'm pretty sure it's Rasputin <laughs> is like the main villain of that one um or some weird eternal guy uh but like the problem with like the hellboy one is that there's kind of just one monster and it's like the same monster throughout the whole movie and it's just like this kind of like thing with a scary mouth and then there's like a weird tentacle thing at like the very end but like the this movie is like kind of nice that it sort of like mixes it up a little bit and you get like a bunch of these like really cool things like you get like the tooth fairies and you get like the golden army itself which was like such a fun fight scene. I really loved that. Yeah, and even stuff like when they they go to like the the market or the design, like it. It's funny because I mean both both the Perlman and Hellboys were both kind of like Gil, Guillermo del Toro and who yeah. So it, it's kind of funny that like or it seems like he really kind of levels up between between them, but. Also, between Hellboy and Hellboy 2 is when he makes kind of Pan's Labyrinth. And I think when he does sort of get into the, you know, creature design that can see in stuff like Pacific Rim, which he does a few, I think, uh, kind of after this one, but... Yeah, this film, like, part of the thing is, I really like the look of it. Like, you know, kind of at the beginning where he's... He's watching like Pinocchio or whatever, but then, and then when his adopt his dad's kind of telling him that story, and it goes kind of into the things, and it's just sort of puppets, and yeah. it's like marionettes, and then it kind of does that because then when they actually reveal what the creatures actually look like, then it's like a reveal. Um, yeah, you kind of get this like how a child might imagine this like great battle, and like it's just yeah, it's just really cool, and like. um We'll probably, like, yeah, if we want to pivot into talking about, uh, the villain in this movie's, like, not too bad. I definitely, you know, I do have a bit of, uh, a bias is that whenever I see, um, it's weird because I feel like the example I'm using isn't very great. Whenever I see an, like, Alucard from Castlevania looking individual, I always assume that there might be kind of a boring villain, um, just sort of like the the pale skin, long white hair. I don't know what it is. I don't know what instilled that in me. Cause it wasn't Alucard. I think he's very interesting in the Castlevania anime, but like, it just like, you know what it is? I think if I'm not remember, if I'm sorry, if I'm remembering incorrectly, but I think he like any sort of like elves in comic book movies have kind of been ruined by, I think Thor to the dark world by having like, like nobody knows that person's name. 
And I feel like I feel like it's one of those things where um I feel like maybe a lot of like my memories have been like crossed and associated. But like he's honestly like really fun and like all of his fights are really well choreographed. Like um like he has like he has like an interesting enough motivation. Um and like I kinda wish that they got a chance to like delve into it deeper. Um, but like I feel like the depth they did was like fine. I didn't really expect like a a, you know, uh, a philosophy grand thesis out of Hellboy to the Golden Army. Um, but I think he's, like, really cool. I like how when each of his, um, when his, like, his, like, kind of, I don't know if they're elves or what they're supposed to be, but I like when they die, they turn into, like, this sort of, like, cool, like, kind of, uh, orangey stone. I think that's really, really neat. Yeah. Um, I will say, I know the name of the Thor the Dark World villain, Malekith the Accursed. I know this because he's a really cool comic character, and was well, that's good, maybe at least. disappointed <laughs> with how he was handled in, like, there, but he was recently a big big part of Thor stuff, but yeah, I think you're right, but definitely I think like, this, char- this character, like, First of all, oh yeah, Nuada Silverlance, really cool name, um, but... Yeah. Yeah. It is one where on paper, and I think that's a challenge with a... I'm sure we'll see with a lot of these comic book villains is... If if your thing is, you're like, yeah, I want to conquer the world, or, like, kill all the humans, there's stuff like... It can get kind of repetitive in... In a way where, like, if it's, like, a comic book, you're like, yeah, yeah, no, this is fine. This is just, like, how it is. But then on a movie, you kind of want more. And I thought the film did a good job, I think, in sort of adding to that motivation of getting to the ways of giving him kind of a more, look, it's us or them mentality. And that his motivation is probably just trying to lure, like, Hellboy over to his side. Yeah, I... Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, oh no you can like yeah, yeah that, that's one. um i guess mild spoilers for the first hellboy movie uh if you care kind of block your ears but like they it is neat because they kind of get into that at the end of that movie because the villain kind of does essentially a very similar thing it's not i feel like this movie this movie's weird it kind of it builds on it to the same amount but earlier on so in my brain i think it builds upon it more but they really build upon it for like the same amount of time it's just this movie kind of only builds upon that sort of like join me mentality really in just that one scene with like the giant plant monster and the first movie kind of does it near the end of the movie um where the villains essentially like like fulfill your destiny like you're you're a you're a big red evil guy um like unlock this big gate um uh so yeah, this this movie, I guess it's kind of nice that this movie sort of builds upon those ideas. Like there's, it's one of those things where like, much like MVP, uh, most valuable primate, um, I did not think that there was going to be a lot of connective tissue between Hellboy 1 and Hellboy 2. I would just think that it would just sort of kind of, they would both try to do their own thing, but, um, which like these movies kind of do, like there isn't like a lot of like, Hey, remember this from the first movie? Uh, but there, I was not expecting there to be like kind of like thematic carryovers. And I guess that's probably, I'm assuming somebody that like reads Hellboy comics, I'm assuming that like a big part of it is his sort of like want to belong or like his like kind of 
his uh, upsetness, dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction with like being rejected from like the human world. Um, I forgot where I was going with this, but I do, I do know I did want to mention, um, I really love in the opening cinematic about how, um, uh, how like the, uh, this Prince Silverlands, like his, his father, they're going in this war and they build this Colton army and it like, it slaughters all these humans. And it's like, the only reason he backs down is that he just sort of looks at all this and he goes like, this is kind of fucked. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, Cause like he wasn't losing. There was no reason other than like, he just had this perfect weapon that could just slaughter so many people coldly and like without feeling at all. And he's just like, this is too much. Like we just need to end this. It's just like a very interesting thing. And in that usually like, usually when there's like the big sort of lore backstory with like the war like the war ends with somebody like winning and like or like it very rarely ends with like one of the leaders like gaining a sudden moral realization about the gravity of what they're doing <laughs> yeah definitely i thought that was really effective too and you build it does Occasionally, I think you get stuff where they're like, yeah, this is the unbeatable weapon, or it's, like, just indestructible, and then turns out, no, it is, like, pretty beatable and destructible, but the thing that I think makes the Golden Army such an interesting threat is they are, in fact, like, unstoppable. Like, they do a bit of damage and have the final fight for them, but the only way they're able to sort of beat them in the end is... Hellboy has to win their allegiance by just invoking his right as, like, the Prince of Darkness or whatever to challenge for control, and then they can just destroy the control crown or whatever. But it does, I think, do a good job of selling them as, like, a legitimate threat. Yeah, well, yeah, because I remember during the fight scene, I remember they were kind of, like, destroying them, and I was like, oh, okay, did this movie, like, forget that they're invincible for, like, a second? I was like, I'm fine with it because it looks cool. But then, yeah, after they're done, like, dismantling all of them, in, like, a really, like, the CG, like, doesn't look, like, real or, like, at, like, like a real thing, but, like, it's beautifully complex in, in the way it's animated, and it's just a gorgeous thing to look at of, like, the golden army, like, rebuilding itself, and, like, all the gears, like, coming together, and, like, like, the head is, like, this kind of, like, crab made of gears that sort of crawls back into, like, its, its chassis, and it sort of rebuilds all of itself, like, back to the state it was before. Um, just super duper fun. Um, I also, I, I love, uh, this movie is just like, it's one of those things where I feel like this is kind of like uh, a Deadpool 2 situation where I feel like this movie has kind of everything I love about the first one, just like improved upon, like the writing feels a little bit tighter, like the quips feel better. Um, like it's just, just an all around, uh, the fire effects on Liz look a lot better in this one, or they just use them less. Um, yeah, it's just a, a solid, Seth MacFarlane, that's always going to be an improvement. Um, that, that he's definitely like the one character that I remember from this like movie specifically, like for like so long. Cause I just thought he was so cool as a kid of this like gas man. That's like just alive in this like weird machine. 
yeah, oh yeah, no, the design of him is really cool, and this little arc where you're like, oh yeah, he's coming from headquarters, and he's gonna, like, straighten it up, but by the end, he's kind of on their side is really good. Oh yeah, we got everyone's favorite Jeffrey Tambor. Um. <laughs> um. Who's, is he, oh, he's the, um, oh, I loved him, he was... He was, again, like, it's another thing where, like, he's, like, a little funny and cool in the first movie. But, like, in this movie, I feel like they just, like, really utilize him super-duper well. Um, yeah. Well, just... this is, like, a stretch of very And when I was saying everyone's favorite, I questioned this one Jeffrey Tambor, a kind of problematic figure. Oh, no. Years, but... I didn't know that. Uh, chocolate up to me not knowing celebrities at all. Uh, I'll trust you and assume he's not, not the best person, but Look, his... He's... Yeah. He's been on stuff. Ha, now I call you to admit you love someone who's problematic. <laughs> yeah, take that sound clip. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I also, yeah, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. I didn't know that um, Doug Jones, who played uh, Abe, which is like another, what a fun, I love his character in this movie, also played the the angel of death that like takes out that spear out of his chest. Um, I didn't know he played both of those people. That's really, really cool. Um, yeah, um, Doug Jones, he kind of has a bit of a, like, almost Andy Circus type thing where his specialty is he plays a lot of, like, creatures, often with heavy makeup and visual effects. Like, he is... Also in the shape of water, he's like the fish man in that. Um, he, he he's done a lot of Del Toro stuff actually, and he's currently on Star Trek Discovery, where he plays again another like big made up alien creature. He's in the Hocus Pocus films, which I watched recently, playing a zombie. Like he, yeah, does kind of have his niche of if you need someone who is who to like be like a kind of crazy creature who also can like move in interesting ways since he's a trained contortionist then and and mime artist then you kind of get doug jones and yeah i'm also i'm wondering if maybe just the wikipedia page isn't updated but it seems like in the first movie he was like performed by doug jones and then voiced by david hyde pierce but it seems like he may have also it seems like he may have voiced him in the second one because i don't see david hyde pierce credited for the second one um yeah it's um yeah if you, if you okay, look to no. the bottom of the thing unlike the first movie where abe's voice was done by david hyde pierce which makes sense doug jones provided the voice himself so that's i could not tell the difference so good good on him he's that's what an incredibly talented person <laughs> um yeah i I super enjoyed his character. I, I, I don't know how I loved the scene where him and Hellboy are just singing that song. It's just this like really kind of fun, cute moment in this movie. Um, and I, I rushed to the Wikipedia page of the MTV one to see if it got a, a best musical moment nod. Um, but it didn't because I think this in 2009, I think it was just best song in a movie. Um, which I still think uh, it should have got at least nominated, at least a little bit, hopefully. Um, yeah. 
no this is just like this is just like a fun fun romp of a movie yeah no definitely and i'll say just going back i think one more thing i have to say about the villain is and you know what makes him i think compelling as well is it really helps that he's a martial arts expert. Like, uh, and I guess Luke Goss spent several months learning sword and spear stuff, but it definitely helps make those fights with him a bit more dynamic. Like, yeah, those always felt like really, really like kind of. A, I really liked his weapon. That's this sort of like this sort of like sword spear thing that just sort of like shifted and shaped and like didn't really have like any sort of you know like any restrictions to what it could do in terms of that um no just what a and like i really enjoyed like his sort of his final fight with uh with hellboy with like all the gears and stuff like that i think it was just like really really well executed and like that's gonna be like a really important thing with a villain is that they have they have good fights you know i feel like that's something that you know uh you know we don't see like a super lot of uh, or at least I think we see it about like half the time, but a lot of times like our villains are like sort of the masterminds behind stuff or they're just kind of dickheads or like they're the Grinch. Um, so they don't really like fight, fight, you know, with like cool sword and spear stuff. Um, or they're like serial killers or like massacres or, you know, slasher villains. Um, or literally the devil. Um, or literally yes. not the devil. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you have any, any, any more thoughts on Hellboy 2, the Golden Army? Uh, not really, like, a good movie. Maybe I'll go back and watch the first one at a certain point, but I also felt like I got a really good great complete experience with this one and yeah yeah i definitely prefer the second one after watching both of them um i think the first one like has its moments i think it's just a little not visually i feel like visually i think this one is visually like an improvement just because i think it has like more grandiose locations um but the second one like like ron perlman still looks good like um uh we just were talking about him. I can't remember his name. Uh, uh, Doug Jones still looks really good in that making makeup. Um, I think yes, the writing feels a little weaker. There's like a couple of like things that aren't delivered the best or not written the best. But like, whereas this movie, I feel like tightens a lot of that up. And there's no funny German Seth MacFarlane, so you have to deal with that. Yeah, just go deal with more John Hurt and stuff. But. Cool. Uh, with that, I think we can move on to Get Smart, a film where, for surprise, where I was watching this chase, and I'm like, why is so much of this just in my head? And I'm like, all right, because I'm another film I was a you know, pretty big fan of when I was younger, um, and that held up better than I had assumed it would. So. Yeah, that's another thing about this movie is that like I feel like there was. I feel like um, sometime after Austin Powers, we had this weird wave of, or not wave, but like at least like two or three. I do remember, I can't remember then what it's called. I think it's just called like Spy. I think it might just be called Spy. And it's got like a lady like kind of 
sliding at the bottom of the post or like doing like a kick and it's just like i feel like we got yeah, well, some mccarthy's spy yeah i feel like is i don't know if i'm just maybe there's two examples that's enough for that me to several years after this movie. <laughs> i don't know why but i feel like i feel like spy spoof movies are really hard um to like make interesting unless unless you, i feel like this movie like had a very it was very very funny and i think it was very quippy and i really liked it um and i think movies like austin powers have the benefit of like having that extra layer of interesting because it's about this like guy frozen in time and i feel like that already just sets it off a, a better foot than like just trying to make just like a, a spy spoof movie that just takes place in the time it currently is um but i think like in no short part to like uh steve carell like this is just like a very entertaining very very entertaining funny movie um yeah, yeah um i'm going to guess are you familiar with the 60s tv show that this movie was based on no but i assumed that there was that scene where he sort of took someone's car and i assumed that was like a cameo of like the guy i'm assuming from the original show i assume that i think there was a joke a joke that looked enough like one of those and i'm like that's probably what they're referencing here yeah um yeah so that was well the original yeah so the original like get smart which was a show in the 60s created but created by like don adams who played the role of maxwell smart there and then also mel brooks was like a big yeah, i think was this oh no it's mel brooks and buck henry but like don adams i think had like a a voice in it but yeah but basically yeah 60s got smart was a spoof of essentially secret agent f- things had been there like the james bond movies had come out and everyone was kind of into them you got sort of the mission impossible film and all this stuff so the idea was oh what if you had get smart and then like what if you had this spy show where the spy was kind of like just a semi like incompetent like inspector clouseau type where he's just kind of clumsy and doesn't always get it and has stuff and that don adams he actually passed away a few years before this film came out but he was the voice of inspector gadget in the inspector gadget cartoon um but yeah the scene but yeah that character you are or that scene you clocked like where you're like, oh yeah, this feels like it is a cameo of someone is that was that that was Bernie Koppel who was the original Siegfried, kind of the Terrence Stamp like character in Get Smart, um, who was oh, neat. sort of just yeah, because the idea of Get Smart was you know it was similar where well it was kind of Cold War era, which is why they keep making references to that so. They had, so control and chaos and you didn't get a lot of recurring characters from the villain side of things but chaos was or Siegfried was kind of there he was the vice president in charge of public relations and terror um, mm-hmm. yeah and that and that's other stuff like when they're showing off like the old car or even like the shoe phone um the, oh, okay. Those are both stuff that were kind of taken right from the original, original show. The, again, was the, the famous bit—the idea of oh, what if you had a a phone in your shoe? 
<laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I'm not. Anna. Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, oh no. yeah, you're not. Oh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I was not at all familiar with it being like a show. I, I kind of, again, once I saw like a cameo, I kind of clicked. I was like, oh, this is probably like a Starcy and Hutch type, like 21 Jump Street type, like little cameo. Um, yeah. No, this movie's this movie's like very funny. It's very it's much more um like kind of slapsticky than I thought it would be. I thought it would be like more just like a like kind of funny situation a little closer to I guess, I guess the Cersei and Hutch one is pretty slapstick, but like this one like has like genuine like it has like cutaways and like like smash cuts to stuff. And like I think like really early on um not to like spoil how I feel about uh our, or the villain for this movie already, but um i think Dwayne's character is i think he's like pretty funny i think he's like a nice like i think he's I'm, i like that spoilers i like that he's like a, a big twist and i like that he's just kind of like he's just kind of like nice he's nice to steve carell's character um but his character humor wise did peak for me when he like grabs the fly and then throws it into the garbage and there's like a cut to like the lid like closing down on it um and i don't know it's weird it, i feel weird for thinking this way but it was like less funny when it was revealed that the fly was like uh like an electronic like a spy gadget i just like the idea of him grabbing like a real fly and throwing it out that was so much funnier in my head um and i still got yeah. to i still got to enjoy that before they made the reveal of what i'm assuming they thought was a funnier joke but um that is when his his humor in this movie at least for his character super peaked um was him like grabbing the fly out of the air and then whipping it into a garbage can yeah um and it's funny because i remember and i feel i had confirmed this at some point in the summer but then i had to check again that you had seen get smart before just because i mean while i'm sure it the moment you establish oh there's a mole somewhere in control it is not that much of a stretch to go well clearly it's like the super competent, competent, suave guy that, like, he looks up to, but it plays enough as a reveal, especially because you do not get the actual reveal that he is, like, a villain until there is about 20 minutes left in the movie. Like, yeah. It plays enough, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. But, but, but yeah, so it plays enough as a twist where I'm like, oh, man, if Ben doesn't know, I kind of want this to be, like, preserved for him. But then you're like, no, I've seen this before. I'm like, oh, okay, good. Cause, like, it's... Yeah, no, I think my friends just threw this on one day uh, when we were all hanging out. And, like, I was, I definitely, I wasn't, like, actively watching it because I was playing pool. Um, but, no, this is, like, and I feel like this is the kind of movie that, like, I couldn't really watch passively. Just because I feel like it's just, it's really funny. I really do like it. And, uh, but, like, you got to be, like. It's not something, it's not really background, it's not a background noise kind of movie. Um, I think, like, one of my favorite scenes is when, um, I'm trying to think what's the name of the the actor that's sort of like the, um, it's, uh, Delip Singh? Or Singh? Uh, like the WWE kind of, re- like the big sort of, like, guard. Um, I, I don't know, like, it's... It's such a funny but also really sweet moment when like Steve Carell uses like his like intelligence to like sort of clock that like like you're having trouble at home like you should just go talk to her. Um, it's just I don't know it's just like an incredibly funny and cool way to deal with that situation. Um, 
and that'll always kind of stick in my head. Yeah, that's a really good good bit as well. And um, the biggest difference between like kind of the original TV show and this movie is in in the original show, like Maxwell Smart, despite being like a top agent, he is kind of just like an idiot, and like it's you know they do kind of. And then this film, their thing is, or I think just kind of make it, well, to play better to, like, Steve Carell's strengths. Though he could have done it as well, I think, where he was just an idiot, but maybe to give you more to latch onto is they make it where, oh yeah, he is, like, a skilled analyst, and he has good, like, people skills, but as a, like, field agent, he's just a bit, yeah. He's, like, unpracticed. He's a novice, which, which explains... Which, you know, allows him to do bits, like, um, miss him, missed it by that much, also a big thing from the TV show, or him just going, ah, oh, the old, just saying something ridiculous, like, trick, just. Yeah, I, it is, I, I think he's, it's weird, because I don't really think of Steve Carell as, like, a deadpan person, um, but, like, he does pull it off, like, really well in this movie, there's just, like, a lot of, like, exchanges between him and Anne Hathaway that are just, like, really funny. Um, I feel bad that I can't remember the specific joke, but, like, there's, like, a thing where, like, he says something, and it, like, it's, like, half fits in character with him just being, like, not super field tested, and he goes, like, that was a joke, and it's just, I don't know, it's just, like, little charming moments like that, um, that, like, really, like, kind of, like, sell me on this character. I'm also, I'm a little embarrassed, I am looking at his character's name, and I realize that it's called Get Smart, because his last name is Smart, uh was not paying attention to that at all um that makes a lot of sense i thought it was just called get smart because that's just like what it's called um like the like the original one i didn't know the original show existed but i thought it was just called get smart because it's just that's just what it was called (laughs) um (laughs) i did not clock that his name actually ended with smart i did not those two pieces of information did not connect in my head yeah no it's I think, and I think, like, it comes from in the very first episode, you know, some villain going, oh, get smart! You know, just something like that, but... That's really funny that you just... (laughs) It's just, we've been watching too many movies, I feel like the I just, sometimes the name can just be the name, I just thought that's what it was. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'll say, yeah, this is a film, you know, there's stuff that hasn't necessarily aged the best mainly like the fat suit stuff where you're like, ah, but you don't really need this in there, but it is, it is a film where I was surprised how much, because I was ready for this to go, to be like, oh yeah, this is just okay, but I'm like, especially because I feel when this film had originally came out, I had not seen the original show, but I was a big Steve Carell fan from The Office, so I'm like, yeah, let's do it, and since then I have seen a lot of the original show, so I got more of the stuff, like, for example, Patrick Warburton's kind of little appearance at the end is like Jaime. Jaime's like a recurring character in the show where, oh, he's the robot agent, and they they do stuff there. Or Bill Murray's little cameo, that's another kind of, was another staple of the show where you had Agent 13, and the bit was he always was in just some inconvenient or just odd place, or with some like disguise, like he'd be cramped in a locker, or just some, some place. Like, oh, um, all that stuff was good. Um, 
This also feels like one of the last films for a long time where you could just make fun of the president by having him be not George Bush, but kind of George Bush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do like, uh, yeah, I like it's kind of like, it's kind of a little bit dopey. I like that he likes that the conductor gets tackled. I also, I really like the the scene where they're visiting with the vice president. It just turns into this big scuffle. Um with uh yeah uh alan arkin um <laughs> just yeah. just tackles him um it's just a really really funny this movie is like very like over the top i feel like it's it's probably like i don't think what would be on the other end of it um because i feel like austin powers like it's way crazier and i feel like it's not quite there but it's definitely like there's definitely like really goofy goofy scenes in this movie that just like maybe like wouldn't fit the best in other movies that are trying to be like a little more ground i guess it's like there are scenes in this that like wouldn't happen in like i don't know like ride along that are just like way too over the top and goofy um also as far as gratuitous celebrity cameos go the ryan seacrest vocal thing in the scene where then four minutes plays a bit is really good (laughs) yeah it ties back to like just the bonds he's established with Delete, who I believe is like an original character for the film, but I think, and on Wikipedia, if you, like, the Delete thing has a blue thing, but when you hold it there, it just says Jaws, who was like a bond, recurring Bond, like, villain who kind of becomes a good guy in two movies, and having just watched those ones for the first time, I'm like, oh yeah, no, he is just kind of doing a Jaws thing where he's this big lumbering type who survives a crazy amount yeah <laughs> uh yeah how did we what did you think about i guess uh Dwayne's performance as a villain yeah so this this is one where the thing about Dwayne, um i guess in the era before he's like oh fine you can just call me the rock but is there is early on when he starts going yeah i'm gonna make these movies he is trying a bunch of stuff um i believe the year after this he does like or maybe it was a couple years no it was a couple years after this but he does journey to the mysterious island where he's again sending up the idea of his macho-ness but there's a time for a while where he is giving real performances where he's actually trying to do stuff and and eventually, as much as I think he has his charms, for a large part, I would say he kind of just eventually just develops his movie star persona where, oh yeah, he's The Rock, and you don't get a lot of deviation outside of that. It got to the point where um, Jungle Cruise, a movie I think is like his most exciting performance in years, because he's like touching on notes of regret and stuff that he doesn't normally get to play and i'm like he's really good in this and a lot of people have told me they're like no you're he's doing the same thing i'm like no you gotta look for the differences but that that's kind of how he's become but yeah i think he's good here um again both you know you don't get much of him as a villain but you got a lot and i know you haven't been keeping track as much of ways villains get defeated in this one but do you think it would be fair here to say that what defeats Dwayne, like, Agent 23 in the end is his own homophobia? Um, yeah, uh, 
weirdly not uh it feels like it'd be right up it's mtv's alley to include that kiss for best kiss it's very strange it did not make the cut i guess they were already pushing it with with six um candidates um and like yeah and like i i don't disagree with any of these i feel like the one you could probably replace would be the i love you man one because i feel like it's a very it's a very similar kind of kiss it's just sort of like a yeah it's like very very strange like not pick for that category (laughs) yeah and also i'll say as much as there's a bunch okay it's 2008 it is kind of like funny especially as he's like ah this is how i'm good gonna do it and as much as they're kind of going for like the you know Dwayne Johnson going the mm-mm like the no it it does work because you're like no he's the villain we're not supposed to like him like it's 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 fine that he gets to like say say this or or just do that or whatever but yeah what did you think of him as a villain um yeah I it's yeah because he doesn't get a lot of time to do it um so like a lot of this movie is really more just about like steve Carell and anne hathaway um so like it's not it's not the best just because there's not a lot of it um i also like i can't help but compare it to because he does i think he's like in a very similar not like a super similar role but like i feel like a more entertaining role in the movie central intelligence um i don't remember much about the movie but i remember that they just they play with the idea of him being like a twist villain but but like they flip-flop it around so much that it gets like at the beginning i'm like oh this is he's like obviously like he's obviously like a good guy he's just like but like i think within the span of like 20 minutes they like flip-flop it around so much that i'm so i'm genuinely like excited to see which side he's actually on um i understand this movie's probably not the place for that but I feel like I just enjoy that much more. It's I don't feel like it's every day that you we get a I get to have such a clear comparison between two such similar villain performances from the same actor in a similar kind of ish movie. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just one of those things where like I think it works good as like a piece of like the narrative and like for the plot that it, like it was this big twist and it leads to like this really exciting ending scene. But I think like stacked against like every other villain on this list that like got to be a villain for the whole runtime it's just like not not super you know stand out oh yeah like it, it it's functional uh, i'll say like i'm glad it got included because then we got to talk about get smart but if this had been cut like it it was one where i was kind of funny where i'm like oh Oh, okay. Yeah, get smart. Sure. Yeah, but but I think like he does well enough, and the film does enough at building up the like you know St- oh Steve Carell looks up to him, and it also is a funny thing where they reveal that he used to date ninety nine. Also, man, yeah, maybe we should talk a bit about like how it is kind of weird that like Anne Hathaway is like a lot younger than both of these actors, and they just kind of hand wave it with oh she got plastic surgery, but. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it is like a fun, funny bit where he's like, oh, 
you and 23 oh man that's talk about feeling like inadequate like just yeah <laughs> he says something to that effect it's really funny i remember that scene oh yeah, yeah. oh wow yeah no oh yeah 20 year age difference between seaforth and Anne halfway oh yeah <laughs> uh, but, yeah yeah do we, uh, well, do we have any final I'm like, thoughts I'm, oh sorry go on i'm trying to think of final thoughts is otherwise then the last thing we end on is that like yeah it's different um oh what is something else i really liked about this movie um oh yeah the point where i'm like oh wow i do remember a lot of this is just i, I do think alan arking is the funniest line of like the thing where he's like oh gee it's like you're thinking what i'm i'm thinking after like the big like just car car through the thing is like i don't know were you thinking holy shit, holy shit, I almost got, like, skewered by a swordfish? <laughs> no, that's super good, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, the dance scene is funny, as much as, again, it just kind of goes on, like, yeah. kind of obvious fat jokes, but it is sort of a sweet moment, and when it when they flash back to it, when she's thinking over all the moments with Max, like, that does work really well. Just, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think we're good to move on to uh, Friday yeah. the Thirteenth. Yeah. Yeah. A movie I enjoyed a lot more than like I expected. <laughs> um, I didn't love this one. Uh, it's not like really bad, but I think the problem is I'm watching this. And I'm stuck in this weird paradox where I'm like, have I seen this movie before or is this painfully generic? And I think the conclusion I came to is that I feel like I have almost certainly 100% watched like a kill count video that gave enough context between the kills that I feel like I've watched this whole movie because I knew every scene that mattered and i knew every i guess plot point even though there's not much um so like it's weird uh this movie like after this movie ended i was like i want to try and watch freddy versus jason before the podcast just because like I want to watch some classic schlock, and I remember really liking that movie as a kid. Um, I could not get through it because I feel like I wanted to watch like all of both respective things up to that point, um, just so I could get all like the little references and legacy characters, which aren't. I don't know how much legacy characters are a thing in the Friday the Thirteenth series, because um, like I know we watched like the Scream one, and that's like kind of it's that's kind of like a really big thing about it. Um, okay, both Friday... so you are aware this is a remake. This was gonna be yeah. my first question. <laughs> no, this one I I know is a hundred percent a remake. I actually when I was a not a kid but like young, like maybe preteen, I watched like a lot of Friday the Thirteenth movies. I didn't watch the Nightmare on Elm Street ones because they were too scary. Um, but I did watch a lot of like the Jason movies, like um. Which it always made me, it always kind of made me kind of scratch my head because, like, for the first two movies, like, he doesn't have the machete or hockey mask. That is something that is, like, exclusively because in the 
spoilers, spoilers for Friday the 13th. Uh, the first movie, it's his mom. And then the second movie, he has like a bag, kind of like he has in the beginning of this movie. I mean, like an axe. Um, and I think the third movie is when he gets like his like machete, green coat, hockey mask. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, and I'll say, this is the first, I mean, I have actually seen Freddy vs. Jason before. Um, watched it with friends once at a Halloween party, but this is the first proper Friday the 13th film I have ever seen. I know enough about the franchise that I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't, like, really a remake. It's sort of a, distil- a distillation of the first, like, three or four of them. Um, but I did kind of like that progression where just kind of starting with sort of his mom is like the cold open. That's like the first scene it's doing all, all that stuff. And then kind of moving to him with the bag and then him with like the hockey mask. And I'm like, Oh, this is kind of neat. Yeah. I like that. I was so scared. Cause I was like, is he not going to have the hockey mask in this whole movie? Um, yeah. It also is funny that they introduce an entire cast of characters and have him like kill them all kill. And, he kills them all off, like, almost immediately, which I guess is a way of them, like, having their cake and eating it, too, a bit, where they're, like, just, like, this movie has, like, a really high body count, but... Yeah, it's, um, it's weird. I, I don't want to speak as the Friday the 13th expert, um, because, like, it's been so long since I've seen these movies, but there's, there's two things that I feel like, um, I feel like this movie, and I feel like, there's two things that... I have this weird inkling that are like part of the identity of Jason. Um, and I think like one of, and I think, what was I going to say? I think, what is it? Both of these movies, I feel like, or both of these things I think are present in this movie. Um, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's just one thing I've worded two ways, but like the thing is that like with like the scream movies, they're very like visceral because like, it is like a fight because it's like a person it's like an actual like human being and like there's a lot of like kicking and from what i remember like when you when a when a scene in scream starts you like you kind of don't know if that character's like gonna die because there's like there could be like a fight there could be like a run uh in this movie if a character is like alone with jason like they're gonna die like they are just almost certainly um like he's he's very much at least what i remember from like the first couple and like kind of his identity is that he like he's very much i think kind of like michael myers in a way um where he's just this big he walks and like he's determined and he just keeps he's like he's just a non unfazed machine um not dissimilar to like one of the first villains that we covered the um the was it the the model of the a terminator that we covered the a t-1000 um and like yeah like if a character like there's no survivors in any of those um which is like kind of it's kind of neat i kind of i think it's its own little thing i do prefer sort of the scream method of it being like a like a very like like kind of scary visceral thing other than like this just big i guess it's scary in its own way and one's just a preference over the other but it is it is neat to have this big lumbering threat um and something I also like in this movie that I, I don't know if it's super present in the other movies. I do like that he has like a bunch of different tools. Like he uses like a bow and arrow, which I don't know if he's ever used before um, to like kill one of the people. And then like he like throws like an axe just like 
like a full-sized axe, like throwing axe style at somebody. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that too. And my understanding with uh, with this film sort of is that the Jason does kind of have a bit more intelligence than in kind of some of the original ones and that you actually had to see him do stuff like set traps and do other stuff. And I thought that was really, yeah, really effective here. And I agree. It is funny, like, you know, back when we did Scream Week where I'm like, oh, that that did kind of like set us up well to do that one because of course Scream 4 has the bit where they're listing every kind of remake, which I think included both this one and Prom Night as well as previously covered like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then also name drop like the Saw films is, is things, but it is, I mean, it is nice seeing these things that, you know, Scream 4 was kind of responding to, even though I certainly think, like, I think of all the kind of, well, the few horror remakes we have covered on this podcast so far, and honestly even, well, I'm not sure if I'd put this above Saw 2, but... I think in terms of how much I'd enjoy enjoyed it, it was pretty like up there with Saw too. Um, yeah, but. yeah. Um, I think there is like one issue I have with this one. I feel like it bleeds over a little bit into Promenade as well, and like, but like not to a great not to a great degree. And like, and I didn't fully. I'm really glad that I watched like the beginning of Freddy versus Jason because I think it gave me like insight into like why this might be an issue. Um, it's like an issue with a lot of horror movies is that like the main cast has a always seems to have a severe case of how are any of these people friends syndrome where they're all mean to each other. They're all horrible. They're all like like they're just except for like except for always like the two kind of stonery guys that like seem to have some sort. But even they are like kind of like nasty towards each other sometimes. It's like it is just very like how are how is this group of people friends at all and i kind of was like i guess it's like and i was was like i guess it's like so that you don't care as much when they die because i guess they're like kind of bad people like you don't want to make them like really nice kind-hearted people for some reason so that way it's kind of like cathartic when they like get slashed and i was like and i was like is that really what it is and then i watched like the beginning of freddy versus jason and where they do that but it's so much better because there's like no punches pulled. I don't know how recently you saw Freddy vs. Jason, but like the 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 teenage boys at the beginning of that movie are just like some of the most vile people ever. Just so hateable and awful. And it is really satisfying when they get slashed. And I told I was like, okay, that's why this trope that I'm not very fond of exists it's because when it's done really well it totally does what it it uh it, it sets out to do but when it's like not done super well all i'm left here is with is like i don't really enjoy watching this group of people that don't like each other hang out <laughs> yeah it's I believe like the classic tv trope designation for it at one point was called 20 minutes with jerks where like you have to spend the time with with them before they all get get killed the more, like, positive version of it is, like, developing doomed characters, where... But that kind of goes into the thing where it's, like, how invested do you want the audience to be? Like, how bummed out do you want them to be when these, like, people die? Yeah, and, like, I feel like 
I feel like my big thing, I think my thing with this movie is that I think before I was like, I really just want these people to like each other. I want them to like feel like friends. And I guess now after getting a little more context by watching some other movies, my thing was like, oh, they should have gone farther. Um, They should have made them more insufferable and like tried to like, they really should have put their foot on the gas with that one. And like, they came pretty close. Like there is something a bit insufferable about someone kicking a chair and then going, that's a family heirloom. <laughs> like that is like the most, like that is like a very pompous thing to say. That is just like very, like <laughs> very funny in a way too. And I just wish like, they really should have like put the gas on that. Um, But you know, I feel like this movie maybe had, had different goals. And to be fair, like once they start, like the killing like this is a short movie and the first 20 minutes are with characters that are just gone by the end of that 20 minutes so like once this movie like starts the killing there's very few scenes of like characters interacting where they're not just like screaming or running yeah and that is the thing like i guess you can see with this film that maybe you do want a bit more on the character thing but sometimes you can just throw uh supernatural's jared paladecki or Padalecki in there looking for his sister and that's that's enough sometimes and yeah yeah no and it's uh it's really tough like when we have like a kind of a a legacy character like this because then it's like you kind of have to judge this character from its context in this movie and not it as like a whole (laughs) Um, but I feel like, kind of like I said earlier, I feel like in this movie, I really do like that he is, like, a little more intelligent. And, like, he's, like, using, like, tools and stuff like that. But still has, like, all of his, like, classic tropes of, like, just being this, like, big, slow, yeah. silent, um, like, terrifying menace. Yeah, but the film does do it where when he does pick up those machetes, it does kind of feel like moments where, like, oh, yeah, it's getting real now. Like... At the mm-hmm. end, where he just kind of picks it up, you're like, "Yeah, go!" But definitely, it is, as you said, always hard with these legacy characters, especially when it's just someone in a mask. Where you're like, "Well, you know, it's almost not fair to like Derek Mir- Mears here, but because really, what people want to see is the the iconography, and you don't have to do much, but." Yeah, I think Jason's definitely pretty effective in this, I would say. Yeah, so do we have anything more we want to say about this or uh no. Um yeah, I I I mean it made me it made me want to go back and watch some some old slasher things, so and like I'm really glad I did. Um I think now we can move on to to uh the next movie uh, prom night um you know uh, so i think while i was watching this i think it's crazy they don't kill bluff like the mean girl <laughs> yeah it's i don't remember any of the characters names at all like they are they weren't i didn't know them when i was watching the movie at no point could i name a single character at all um britney snow britney snow's friends <laughs> yeah um wheelchair guy from friday night lights yeah it's this movie i have two big complaints one there are so many scenes i watched this movie at two times speed there are so many scenes where it's just a character 
and it's a little bit quiet and they're just walking around and you're just like waiting for just like the jump scare. And that's just so much of this movie. And it's so boring because it's like they're just in like a boring hotel room. Like none of the set pieces are interesting. And like uh, this is like I, I said two, but this is considered like a one point five. The scene where like they're checking the hotel, but like the main character has already gone home. And it's just you just know that the killer is not at the hotel, but they spend so much time like having the SWAT SWAT team like searching it where it's like. We know he's not there. We know there's not even a, we don't even think for a second he's there. He's obviously at the house, like without a question. Like it's just, it's so much time feels wasted in like one of the shortest movies we've covered. Um, and then two, uh, this movie, I feel like there's a problem that happens with sort of parody slash meta commentary movies, like the screen movies sort of like, um kind of run into or like any sort of like thing that's trying to be like a commentary on something where like you fly a bit too close to the source material that you just become maybe just a generic example of the thing you're trying to satirize and this movie feels like that but it never gets better and it never comes around it's just so it's so like generic and like formulaic and it's like it's kind of genius in a way where I was like, I was kind of waiting for there to be like a big, like subverting twist or like a big, like kind of wink to the audience of like, we know we're being horribly, horribly generic right now, but it just never came. And it's just the weirdest experience ever. Yeah, it's definitely like, there's, uh, this is it. I have many issues with this film. She said, like, Here's the thing. You can be generic or you can be boring, but don't be both. Like, yeah. Like, be fun if you're going to be. Like, Get Smart is kind of a generic movie. It's a very, like, kind of. It's like a spy parody kind of slapstick movie, but it's super fun. It's fun and it's funny. Yeah, you know the arc of that movie when you're, like, starting it, but, like, it's an enjoyable journey. Um, this film, and I'll say Prom Night, it is technically a remake of a 1980 film also called Prom Night, but it does not have the same plot at all. Like, my understanding is Prom Night and its sequ- the sequel that has Prom Night 2, it, the idea was more, well, these were just anthology films about, like, prom horror, which I think seems to be their approach here, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. Among, well, I have also issues with the, yeah, the whole, the premise, the premise of this movie for, which I think we'll just touch on a bit is, yeah, it is about this girl, Donna, who, when she is a freshman, she, like, ret- comes home one morning and finds out that her father and brother have been killed by this old teacher of hers who is in love with her, which is upsetting enough. And then also the guy, like, she sees, yeah, her she sees her mom also get killed, and then she is able to, like, flag down police officers, and they get him, presumably. 
Though, the movie also starts out with, like, a dream where she does not wave down cops, and then the guy, like, gets her, which is very confusing to, like, establish backstory of your movie. Um, Yeah, it's... <laughs> uh. yeah. But then the idea is, it, but now it's, like, three years later, and it's her prom, and this guy escapes pr- escapes prison and comes after her again, and um, for many issues, one, and I try not to be, like, a plot hole guy when I watch movies, like, I don't need every, everything to make 100% sense, but if you read a news story, or, like, if you read, like, a story where they're like, yeah, this, this guy who had killed a bunch of people escaped prison and went after this girl, and we just didn't tell her about it because we wanted her to enjoy her prom, like, yeah. You would assume the next thing was everyone involved got fired. Like just Yeah, like I like, don't Yeah, I definitely clocked that too, and I really tried in my head to be like Is it like there would need to be so much circumstance around that for that to make sense. Like I could see maybe like an example if it's like if he's far enough away that it's like not gonna be like an issue, like they don't wanna like re-traumatize her but yeah that is just such a weird like yeah that's just like not an okay thing to do at all Um, yeah like it's incompetence in a level that like just completely challenges belief and yeah her uncle goes where they're like well if we let her know then it's just gonna be like before and by the end of the film again all her friends have been murdered her boyfriend's been murdered and she's just been for this tremendous event like if your plan was to try and avoid like this progress all of that is undone by the end of it which goes back to another thing where as much as um may i recently watched this horror movie called smile which is really good has a lot of good like scares and stuff and is tangentially as i think a lot of horror films these days about yeah are is kind of about trauma and just sort of the lingering specter of it which makes sense because horror is just inherently traumatic so obviously it goes there but there are some people who go too many horror films these days are about trauma this was one where i watch i'm like maybe this needs to be more about trauma because it does not seem to know what to do with it at all um also yeah. A lot of it, because you can't really have her confront him until, like, the end of the movie, because, again, which goes to the story problems of going with this as your premise, is the moment she sees this guy, it's going to be, oh, I have to get out of here immediately, oh my god. So, that just leads to a bunch of boring scenes of her just sitting around the prom while people get murdered upstairs without anyone knowing about it. Like, yeah, it's just like what a what a horribly like it's not a fun look. Even like the prom itself, like it doesn't seem like the prom like has like a theme or anything. It's a bummer. It really <laughs> is. It was really. I'm really glad I watched it first. I'm really glad I watched this movie first because it was just like the most boring and like I guess like. The like the one even crumb of like saving grace is that at least like Jonathan's character is like sometimes a little crafty, I guess. Like when he like yeah. scratches his own little uh 
like hotel room card to like get his own but like he also just like murders like a bunch of people like i feel like if you wanted to make this like movie interesting maybe he has to like kind of keep this delicate dance where like he can't draw too much attention to himself because then maybe there could be like this tension of like if there's even a whiff or like anything that they find out he's gotten out they're gonna take her away or something which like wasn't even a problem because like the (laughs) the movie made a point to being like no we can't even tell her about it because that's gonna re-traumatize her it also makes it perfect for him because then she has no clue um like just like yeah just like not super interesting i think they clearly wanted to like i don't know maybe it's a thing from the first prom night but like they really they kind of wanted to try and make him the like the little inkling i had that like the, maybe they wanted him to sort of maybe become hopefully like some kind of horror icon is that they did give him like a somewhat unique murder weapon like that little curved knife they made sure to like show like very distinctly and it feels like that's kind of like the only effort that was given into him like that and his like mild craftiness is like the only two bits of characterization he really gets yeah my understanding is in the original prom night he does a some stuff with a shard of glass which that might have been a bit of reference to Um, okay see that's even that even sounds a little more interesting I'll say, yeah, I do think it is an effective performance in that I think he effectively conveys where you're like, oh yeah, no, this guy is, like, monstrous, he's, he's like, a creep, like, you are, you're kind of, like, scared of him, but I, but it's almost a way to, again, work against this movie, like, when it comes to horror, I don't know, like, you kind of want it to be fun, and just the specific backstory of the character, and just kind of the structure of the film. Also, the fact that, like, this is ostensibly about, oh, Brittany Snow has to confront this guy again, but because she can't really do that till the end, then when she does, really all she can do is run away and briefly fight back until he's shot to death by police. Like, she is very passive in this film in a way that, again, goes through... What are what are we even doing here? We're just watching this like tra- traumatized girl get re-traumatized. Like that's not fun. It's like no, there's like man. nothing really triumphant about the ending. It's just like <laughs> it's just like very like it's just it's it's a bummer, but not even like not even like a fun like leaves you with like a pit in your stomach or feeling like a little bit hollow. It's just kind of a boring bummer. <laughs> yeah. And that's the that's the thing, like, and a spoiler, spoiler alert, but like when I saw Smile, it's a movie that, I mean, it's kind of ring esque in that like it goes for a movie where it's like, oh, you thought there was an escape, but there's not really an escape. But on that end, I'm like, yeah, no, that's fun. Like, I'm fine with horror films like being having like you know kind of dark endings or just leaning into that nihilism if it's at least having fun while it's doing so but this is just yeah this awful thing happened and now you gotta live with it the the end roll credits over footage of everyone dancing at prom which i think was like maybe i can kind of it's kind of an idea of oh you're juxtaposing look how happy they were earlier except they didn't even seem that happy earlier no yeah and this is kind of the 
this is kind of the problem that like kind of arose a little bit with the Friday the 13th is that like none of these people act like friends or like like and like two-thirds of the couples like barely act like couples it's just like yeah it's i and like i understand that like when you're a horror movie that like run on average like 90 minutes like you don't you want to like get to like the slashing and like maybe you don't want to like i don't know wouldn't that be like the i wonder if like i guess maybe there's just no people don't really respond well to like characters they like like getting slashered in a slasher film but like it's just like maybe have one less scene where a character takes five minutes to check a closet and then just have like them having fun together at all um and like not having like a christopher nolan-esque like exposition scene at a hair salon like maybe just have them enjoying each other's company for a little bit (laughs) yeah okay now i am watching um or now i'm just looking up things on the prom night sequels well because the original prom night which is kind of like a seems like a i know what you did last summer thing where oh it's a bunch of kids who an accident leads to the death of like one of their younger siblings and then years later suddenly they're getting targeted on prom night apparently for like revenge you're like yeah that already seems better then prom night 2 suddenly makes it supernatural and it's like someone gets possessed by like a ghost see that's fun prom night then prom night 3 has more ghost stuff but it's kind of more comedic and it's like a spoof of the other two and then prom night 4 is like a deranged catholic priest targets four teenagers on prom nights are like wow that is like just a crazy jump from movie to movie from and all of those seem way better than what we got here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, like, something that, in the first one that, like, I don't know, I guess you don't need it for a movie. But, like, I think, for like, a slasher film, it is kind of nice to have that sort of, like, I know what you did last summer connection to, like, the the person, like, doing all the killings. Which, like, this, this movie and Friday the 13th, like, don't super have he just sort of just targets these people because he wanted to target them like there wasn't any sort of like grander connection than that they kind of just connect to like maybe like the main characters like obviously in this movie it's because he's like obsessed with with her but like there isn't any like it's kind of neat when like there's like this little like like kind of like in like the friday the third or the friday the 13th like there's kind of like this like little thing where it's like oh it's because like counselors are so like neglectful or something like that whereas in like i think in like both these movies they're just kind of like there to just be like you know like meat fodder which is unfortunate um and i guess that's its own thing like you don't i think that's i think that can get kind of a little bit hard to write because you don't really want to write like justifications for your slasher um but at least like having like any sort of like connection to like the main group and like just something that kind of keeps them all like connected and kind of like um i don't know that's like that's always something i kind of like which like doesn't need to be present like i don't think it's really all that present in like the nightmare on elm street ones i think they're all just like friends um yeah yeah i kind of get that thing where you do kind of want more connection with the characters 
I kind of bought a bit into her friendship with, like, the girl who does win, ultimately win, like, prom, prom queen a bit, but, yeah, there's a, really just nothing to latch on to there. And, um, yeah. so, yeah, kind of a bummer yeah. note to end this on, but. Hey, it's all good. I feel like. Thumbs the break sometimes. Yeah, I feel like it's, <laughs> yeah, uh. Yeah, this movie this this was a week that had a very very high ceiling and a very low floor. Um yes. <laughs> Which is you know what you don't get a lot of those. Usually these a week kind of will will have like usually kind of more of a uh you know, maybe a couple great ones and then more of like a, you know, mid to pretty enjoyable or at the very least like unique experience like um like I don't I think the movie I've liked the least aside from like obvious like kind of disqualification ones that are just horrid uh probably the most like least like enjoyable movie was probably like uh disturbia um but i feel like prom night maybe has taken the cake in being like something that like i would actively rather do nothing than watch it again like i'd rather just like sit in a room and just like do nothing for like an hour and a half than watch prom night again um you know, I yeah, I don't think like this didn't make me uh, as mad as when I watched Electra, but oh yeah, I was also more tired when I watched. <laughs> I think Electra has enough going on for me that I feel like I would watch that again. So I feel like it has enough like goofy things, whereas like this movie just has nothing. Like this thing, this movie is like not like frustrating. It's not like it makes me upset. It is just probably one of the more yeah. painfully boring generic things that we've watched um yeah whereas like i feel like i feel like chronicles of narnia is like kind of a very generic fantasy thing but i feel like with like generic fantasy at least you're getting fantasy at least you're getting like funny talking beavers i can latch on to but when you do like generic non-supernatural high school slasher you are starting off so low and you just have nowhere. You have nothing's in your favor to make that movie interesting. Yeah. Um. But yeah, with that, I guess the time has come to rank these films. Um. What do you have at the bottom? Oh well, uh, obviously the Dark Knight. Um. <laughs> you know, it's just that. That would be the end of this podcast. <laughs> if we fight. <laughs> No, I think uh, I think my movies uh, yeah, at the bottom. I have Prom Night. Uh, I think above that one, uh, I have Friday the Thirteenth. I feel like, um, yeah, it's just like it's just one of those things where like I feel like it just needed need that extra oomph to make it interesting. And like I feel like the him using different tools was like it was a, it was in the right direction. It just needed to go further. Um, and then right in the middle, I would have Get Smart, just a super funny, charming movie. Like definitely one I could just like. I definitely see myself like watching again with friends. And then for my top two, it's <laughs> it's surprisingly really close, but I would be lying if I said that I didn't have more of a fun time with Hellboy 2 than I did Batman. Um I think Batman is like a good good movie, but just there's just so much about Hellboy like charm-wise that just speaks to my interests way more. Um like them singing together drinking and then also just the aesthetics of everything um it just it just worked a little bit more for me 
uh, personally. And how did yours shake out? Um, it's it's funny. I was thinking, oh, wow, ours were identical, and then you got to the end of yours. But um, yeah, prom night at the bottom, awful, terrible, bad movie. Um, then Friday Friday the Thirteenth, um, a movie I enjoyed a lot, and oh yeah, I also watched basically Friday the Thirteenth and Prom Night back to back, and that did not help Prom Night at all. Once I'm like. Wow, I had a really good time with this horror remake. Maybe this other horror remake will also be good. Nope. Um, then above that, Get Smart. Holds up really solid, really funny. Um, then, yeah, above that, uh, top two. Like, Hell, look, Hell, Hellboy 2, great. I love this film. Um, I'm gonna watch it a bunch more times, I'm sure. But, yeah, I would be lying if I said that, like... As I'm sure I made clear over our, like, segment, which was not longer than other segments on this one, but I don't think it was that much shorter either. Like, The Dark Knight holds just a massive place in my psyche, as much as, like, it's been, yeah, maybe done to death or, like, as much as, you know, it's maybe been done to death and definitely led to a bunch of not great things for people going, or DC films in particular going, we gotta be gritty and we gotta be realistic and we gotta be this. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just undeniable for me where it's got my t- uh, top spot. Um, yeah, that's... But how did the... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, you you, you had a good summation here. I told Oh, you. yeah. Um, no, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny you mentioned that, is that, like, People are like, oh, like, because that, that was kind of the impression I had of this movie for the longest time was that it was just this, like, dark, gritty thing. And, like, and I feel like there's also been this, like, sort of this critique levied at, like, the modern superhero movies that they're these kind of cringy quip things. Um, and then, like, watching, like, like Hellboy and this, it's like characters are making those, like, silly quips. That's just kind of what comic book movies do. Like, even in the Batman, there's, like, little funny quip scenes. Like, maybe not as much as, like you know you know like i don't know uh like ant-man but like it's just kind of it's kind of part of the identity of like a superhero movie and it's just like it's not good it's not bad it just needs to be executed well um and yeah yeah i mean and i think well the critique is less oh they're too quippy and more they're too like same feeling where it's like it's one thing if you're making quips it's another if like every Marvel character who makes a quip sounds like every other one who does it. But... Yeah, a little bit of a the Tony Starkification of, like, every character is now kind of like a smarmy yeah. one-liner. Which also came out this year. Um, And it's funny that, like, basically 2008's where we get these two superhero films that go on to define the genre for the next, like, 15 years. <laughs> it's just... yeah. yeah. And counting. Yeah. But... No, Dark Knight is a very funny movie. Like, when he absconds with the Russian ballet, it's such a good bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So my villain list is very, very similar. Um, So I... So when when we just started, or at least when I was watching these movies, I did have Get Smart and Prom Night on, like, the same level at the bottom. Um, And it was really, really tough for me because I feel like Dwayne Johnson's character is, like, pretty fun but like his funnest scene is not when he's a villain and then like um jonathan um schneet 
Schneech, or however his last name is pronounced, uh, Leon from To Make an American Quilt, as everyone knows him as, um, uh, is like, he's like a little bit crafty. Um, and I think it really just came down to two things where I think I just kind of have to put like prom night below get smart in terms of villains just because one that final climax is really good and two to a lesser extent i really love the fly getting thrown in the dumpster scene um those two things combined just just put it just an inch over the top and then right in the middle um i have uh friday the 13th um i really do like uh i really do like his yeah his use of multiple things i really like his not I'm assuming not death scene. I'm assuming they'd bring him back a billion times, but like his sort of final confrontation. Um, I don't like how humans go toe to toe with him because I don't remember. I like part of me remembers in like the original run is that like that was kind of his thing is that like you needed to like hit him with like a car. Um, you couldn't just like fist fight him no matter you know how how you know how cool you are and supernatural. Um, and that's why he kind of has a middle spot. And then for my top two, I think it's like fairly obvious. I have, um, Hellboy 2 below, uh, Dark Knight's Heath Ledger. Um, I think it's like good choreography, but I feel like the character is like, it's like not, it's like not like, I feel like it's, it's, an, it's a weird, it's like a trope character that is presumably kind of boring, sort of like this, like stoic not emotionless but very like not emotion full like prince kind of character uh but like cool sword fights and like decent decent interactions with like our protagonist but obviously i think heath ledger's performance just is just so far and above and beyond and i'm not going to be shocked if he ends up you know being in both our top fives for our sort of final villain roundup when we go through everything in our big wrap-up episode yeah, um, I would also not be shocked if that happened. Yeah, so for this one, um, yeah, at the bottom, I'm gonna say, um, it sucks, because the thing is, I do think Jonathan Shack. I looked it up while you were, like, talk, <laughs> talking just to hear, like, someone say it. Um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll like, take your voice and I'll put it back where I was talking, so it looks like I, I pronounced it right the first time. I'll, I'll I'll do like an impression of you, so it's like seamless. Shack. <laughs> oh, it's tough because my impression of you is just like Mario. Oh, you know, yeah, I know a lot of impressions of Mario going around lately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah, I I I think he's like it's an effective villain performance, but just. It's really cannot. I thought I'm like, does an effective villain kind of matter if everything around it is bad? Because if it really was that effective, it would have lifted the movie up a bit, and it didn't. So, have him at the bottom. Then, above above that, um, probably probably like De Derek Mears again. Jason really iconic, like. So there's not much you can add there, but I think he's really effective, and yeah, it's honestly enough. Where I'm like, maybe I should watch other Friday the Thirteenth films now that I've seen 
uh, the 2009 remake, which I think is the funniest possible place to start watching this franchise from. Um, <laughs> and above that, Dwayne Johnson, uh, great. his most effective scenes are when he's not being, like, a villain, but, uh, also, he is kind of like a villain the whole time. That's what makes it a twist. So I think there's, like, I remember when I was 15 and it's revealed he's the agent, like, and I was definitely talking to a friend about that where he's like, oh yeah, I was devastated when I was a kid and he was, like, a bad guy, and I think that's kind of the effect it does, like, they do enough building him up in that world that it does feel impactful when suddenly it turns out he is, like, the villain of the piece, and yeah, so I will give him the third spot spot for that, even though I do agree that it's not like he does that much once, like, the turn happens, um, then but that, Luke Goss, Hellboy 2, like, really good, but sorry, like, it's... It, yeah, for the number one spot, I have to give it to the Joker, and yeah, maybe that's overplayed. Wish I could be interesting, like, how my friend who works for Variety and did a list ranking the Batman villains and actually had Joker as number four, and below Bane from Dark Knight Rises, which, well, yeah, we'll probably bring that up again <laughs> later, and I think, like, it's a valid take where you can go, do we overrate the Joker as a villain, and... Maybe you kind of do, but same time. Again, it's just, for me, he's undeniable, it's iconic, it's, like, one of the best villains we'll have, we have covered on this thing. I, uh, long, long shot, I miss Heath Ledger a lot, and this, like, what a performance, kind of, to just bring to, like, a Batman movie. Um, but, yeah, so that... That about does it for Best Villain 2009, which, as much as we arrived at, like, kind of a boring conclusion, I think we had a fun one this week. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, kept it up. I'm like, that's where I'm like, yeah, Dark Knight, we won't have to do there, but how many podcasts are going to go that far onto, like, Prom Night? Um, so, now we've come to Recommendation of the Week. What you got this week, Ben? Oh, man. Um... Ooh, I might actually need a second to think about it. I remember I was actually listening because uh, I was editing our previous recorded episode really recently. And I remember, I think I said, I was like, oh, I got like five or six saved up. And I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. Um, so if you want to give yours and I'll have one by the end. Yeah, I, d I do have mine. Um, I watched this film yesterday called Catherine Call... It's called Catherine Called Birdie. Um, it is an adaption of a book from the 90s. It is directed by Lena Dunham of Girls fame. It is this actually the second film she's directed that's come out this year. And it is this really good, really lovely little film. Uh, basically, it is your classic coming-of-age story of a girl, like, trying to kind of figure out who she is as she gets a bit older, but the twist is it is set in medieval times. So, it's it's Bella Ramsey, who was very memorable on Game of Thrones back in the day as kind of the young leader of this Mor Mormon clan who, and she does, 
she plays this very spirited young girl named like Catherine, but everyone calls her Birdie, and she's kind of she's journaling as this exercise that like her monk brother is kind of given for her. And it's her, you know, just kind of the thing of her frustrations with being like a spirited young girl in a society where women are often so often treated as like currency and her her father's this guy who is like a lord but not good with money, so now he's in a position where he's trying to like marry her off and kind of resistance with that. She has her very handsome uncle played by um Joe Joe Alwyn of being Taylor Swift's long term boyfriend fame. Um and it but it's just a really charming, really funny movie and for the first two thirds of it I was watching it, I'm like, yeah, this is charming. It's nothing special, but it's like really good. And and then suddenly the last third brings everything together so well and it's a lot of payoffs and goes for a kind of a happy ending. Well, as happy as you can get in like this kind of time period and really just blew me away. I was in tears for part of it where I'm like, why is this hitting me so hard? But yeah, it just really charming, really fun film. You can watch it on Amazon Prime Video and yeah, check it out it is great um what so you ready now Ben? yeah um yeah just uh i have a friend that lives in bc uh and you know whenever he recommends me music uh or like not even recommend but like play stuff he'll get obsessed with like certain bands or something and uh we'll just i won't stop hearing about it and initially i won't really feel them but then after time they'll start to become like some of my favorite songs. And he recommended me one recently, uh, a song called Day Lily by Movements. And I've really been enjoying it. Um, so I, hopefully I still enjoy it in the future. Uh, yeah, so that is my recommendation. Just a little song to give a listen to. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so with that, we've come to plugs. What you got to plug? Yeah, uh, as always, I have my Twitter, at uh, Gak. Uh, and in the bio there is my link tree with all of my other socials. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. And what about you? Yeah. Well, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Like a Wolverine. You can find me on Letterboxd, also at Like a Wolverine. Um, uh, the show, you can find the show on Twitter at, at Gold Popcorn Pod. Our Instagram, which... Maybe now that I know that we're going to start releasing episodes again, I'll actually start updating it, but maybe not. It's on Pass the Golden Popcorn. You can email us at passthegoldenpopcorn at gmail.com if you would like. Um, if you have a really heated prom night defense, like, feel free to email it to us. Yeah, them, but... that, that was something I definitely, while watching this movie, I think when I finished it, I was like, I wonder if this movie is just something, there's something I'm not seeing, and I would actually love to hear that from other people. Um because i'm always um, i am pretty sure yeah no i'm pretty sure you have the right take on it but yeah who knows <laughs> yeah it's just, it's just, it, it yeah. feels like one of those movies that like maybe maybe there's like an angle we're just not looking at it from <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> um yeah if you like the pod rate review subscribe our theme song is by matt samard our artwork is by ben um you can yeah we are on yeah we are on Friendly Mush. They have other podcasts you can listen to. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything. I don't think I am. So, 
with that, we can talk about what's coming up next. So, next week, or not for us as we've yet to record 2008, but for you, we got Best Villain 2010. And the nominees for that are... Hold on. Okay. Helena Bonham Carter, Alice in Wonderland, Ken Jeong, The Hangover, Stephen Lang, Avatar, Christoph Waltz, Inglorious Bastards, and the winner, Tom Felton in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Oh, hmm. yeah, we're about to, yeah, Harry Potter, about to be our kind of, our little mini, a mini sweep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right, Tom, too inexplicable, well, I guess Half-Blood Prince, it kind of makes sense to nominate him. Um, well, we'll get into it, we'll get into it. Also, stay tuned, because I have stories both, again, going into this summer movies that came out in Camp Era. Both the story of me seeing Harry Potter and the Half of the Prince, and then the story of me almost seeing The Hangover, but then not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I'm I'm really excited. I haven't watched The Hangover in so long. I wonder I hope it's I hope it's as fun as I remember me sneaking out of Transformers and into The Hangover. Um I have seen one hangover movie I've, and it's part I've three. seen part one and part three. I've not seen part two. <laughs> Yeah, and it'll be fun to watch Avatar again. Is Avatar still in theaters? Or did I miss my boat? I will look that up for you off yeah. mic. I think it's still playing in theaters where I am. Ooh. Like, it did well enough that I might try and see they that. extended it. Yeah. Avatar Edmonton. Yes, it is. Okay. It looks like it's still playing at a couple theaters in Edmonton. Um. Yeah, so you might still have your shot. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's still playing at like the South Edmonton one too. Oh, nice. so. Yeah. Well But thank yeah. you all for Thanks for listening. Oh wow, <laughs> it's just stepped over. <laughs> yeah. Uh thank you all for Let's do it simultaneously. <laughs> Alright, ready? Three, two, three, two, one. one. Thank you all thank for you listening. Thank you all for listening. And keep passing that golden popcorn. <laughs> and remember. And remember. <laughs> Uh, we are still bad at ending this are. show. Listen, fifty-two episodes later. Listen, you either die a hell boy or live long enough to see yourself become a Batman. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Like, cut the rest out and then make it seem like we had that from the <laughs> There we go. Bye.